Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Welcome back, and a happy Labor Day holiday to everyone who may be enjoying a day off. Public holiday or not, we've got a lot of China business to catch up on. Beijing authorities are scrambling to contain a COVID outbreak and have ordered millions of the city's residents to undergo testing. The foreign ministry has condemned a suspected terror attack in Pakistan, which appeared to target Chinese nationals. And drone maker DJI is suspending its business operations in both Russia and Ukraine. As always, if you're looking for a place to keep up with the biggest developments from China's business and finance scene, then you are listening to the right podcast. Okay, and we kick off the episode with some news from the city of Beijing. COVID concerns are rising in the Chinese capital. In late April, the city launched three rounds of testing for the majority of its 21.9 million residents. That's after dozens of COVID cases were discovered. And while this may be a hectic time for city residents and for many companies amid fears of an impending lockdown, this has at least been good news for companies that provide COVID-19 testing. Such businesses have posted strong profits in the first quarter. The news comes as the authorities rolled out repeated rounds of citywide testing in Shanghai and beyond to suppress the country's worst outbreak in two years. Dian Diagnostics Group reported a 754 million yuan or over $110 million net profit for the period. That's up around 123% from a year earlier. Guangzhou KingMed Diagnostics Group and Guangdong HybriBio Biotech posted 58% and around 190% year-on-year profit growth for the first three months, respectively. Mass testing has been a crucial part of China's disease control toolkit since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, along with other measures such as lockdowns and mandatory centralized quarantine. Outbreaks can create huge demand for testing kits and diagnostic services as cities of millions of people undergo one or more rounds of testing. 
Moving on from Beijing to another major Chinese city, Shanghai. Daily COVID cases in Shanghai were trending downwards once more last week following a steep rebound in mid-May. The Wednesday decline reflected a five-consecutive-day slide toward under 10,000 cases. Shanghai also recorded 47 local deaths on Wednesday, bringing the total fatalities from the current outbreak to 285. An official statement said that the patients had an average age of 84.7 years and all had underlying health problems before they died, noting that the diseases were the direct cause of their deaths. Many of them were also unvaccinated. Zhao Dandan, deputy director of the Municipal Health Commission, told a press conference Thursday that the city's authorities were actively pushing a COVID vaccination drive targeting the elderly, a demographic more likely to get severely or critically ill with COVID. Their efforts have included sending mobile vaccination vehicles to communities and setting up temporary vaccination sites at nursing homes. In big international business news, Chinese drone maker DJI Technology said it will stop doing business for the time being in Russia and Ukraine. The move comes weeks after Kiev called on the company to ground any DJI drones being used by Russia's military. In a statement released April 26th, the company said that the suspensions in Russia and Ukraine will remain in place pending an internal reassessment of compliance requirements in various jurisdictions. A DJI spokesperson would not specify the reason for the suspensions, but told Caixin that the company is undertaking the review to ensure it is following the laws and regulations enacted by the governments around the world, including China's export control law. In March, Ukrainian Vice Prime Minister Mikhailo Fedorov released a letter asking DJI CEO Frank Wong to do something to stop the Russian military from using its drones to launch missiles to kill civilians. Fedorov also urged DJI to, quote, end any relationships with Russia until the war ends, block all of the company's drones purchased and activated in Russia, as well as provide information regarding the number and locations of its products in Ukraine. In response, DJI said that it could use geofencing to deactivate any of its drones being used in Ukraine based on GPS coordinates, creating something akin to a no-fly zone in the country for its drones. However, the company pointed out that doing so would affect all DJI drones in the restricted area, regardless of their user. DJI also stressed that it could not obtain the flight data of its customers' drones, nor identify their locations. Speaking of tech developments, Chinese search engine giant Baidu and self-driving startup Pony.ai separately said that they were granted permits to provide driverless taxi services in a pilot area in a suburb of Beijing. Baidu will initially provide a fleet of 10 fully driverless vehicles in the designated 60-square-kilometer area in Yizhuang, southeast of Beijing. Later, it plans to add 30 more vehicles. Users can make appointments for rides using Baidu's Apollo Go app. Toyota-backed Pony.ai will provide a similar service through its Pony Pilot Plus app. The company said the hailing service will be free of charge. Pony.ai said it will retain a safety supervisor who will sit in the front passenger seat in the cars. Pony.ai said that it plans to deploy four driverless vehicles and expects to add more in the future. 
In November, the two companies were allowed to test robo-taxi services in a smaller area in the city, but a safety driver was required to sit behind the wheel to take control in emergencies. According to official data, the distance covered in autonomous driving tests in Beijing exceeded 80,000 kilometers in the past six months, with no accidents. Moving on to the latest on the property market. China's financial regulators have instructed the country's state-owned asset management companies, AMCs, and nearly 20 banks to help out in the real estate market. Market insiders told Caixin that the banks and AMCs are being urged to save a dozen Chinese property developers that are having trouble paying their bills, including by purchasing their debt. The instructions came as the real estate industry's liquidity situation has deteriorated, with many builders struggling to refinance debt and pay creditors as homebuyers and investors stand on the sidelines of a slumping property market. Whether this approach will work is unclear. Multiple industry insiders told Caixin, however, financial institutions may be reluctant to offer assistance because they fear taking on extra risk. A bank insider said that lenders have shied away from extending loans to distressed property firms, regardless of how profitable their projects might turn out to be. Other sources said that banks always prefer to lend to state-owned property firms. Meanwhile, AMCs only want to buy profitable real estate projects and aren't at all interested in restructuring developer debt. In other big financial news, China's asset management industry got back on its feet in 2021 to record its first double-digit growth after about three years of industry-wide shakeup as authorities brought the vast sector under a new regulatory framework. The industry expanded 11% in 2021 to a record 134 trillion yuan, or $20.5 trillion at the end of 2021. That's according to a report issued by Boston Consulting Group and a subsidiary of Everbright Bank. It was the first time the industry's growth topped 10% since a set of overarching rules were issued in 2018 to tame the once less regulated market. The new rules, issued by the central bank and several other financial regulators, sought to overhaul the entire asset management industry, including business by banks, brokerages, trust firms, and other financial institutions. The framework was designed to dismantle risks in the sprawling asset management industry. The then $16 trillion sector was plagued by lax supervision, excessive leverage, and risks from mismatches between the duration of products and the maturity of assets. The industry created a complex financing web outside the formal banking system, including trillions of yuan of investment products managed by banks and securities brokerages. The past few days have also witnessed some disturbing developments in Pakistan. China has strongly condemned a suspected suicide terrorist attack in the South Asian country that has left three Chinese nationals dead and one injured. Beijing urged the neighboring nation to bring the perpetrators to justice. On April 26th, three Chinese and a Pakistani were killed in what appeared to be a targeted suicide bombing near the Confucius Institute at the University of Karachi. CCTV footage circulating online showed a woman waiting near the entrance of the institute as the van carrying the victims approached just prior to the explosion. A total of four people were injured. 
The incident was the first major attack against Chinese nationals in Pakistan since a suicide bombing killed nine Chinese and three Pakistanis on a bus in July. It also comes half a month into Shabazz Sharif's tenure as Pakistan's new prime minister. The former chief minister of Pakistan's Punjab province had been working to promote Sino-Pakistani cooperation in multiple fields, such as transportation infrastructure and energy. Shortly after the incident, the Afghanistan-based militant group the Balok Liberation Army, or BLA for short, claimed responsibility for the attack. In 2018, the group claimed responsibility for attacking the Chinese consulate in Karachi. In the meantime, Pakistani police haven't confirmed the BLA's claim regarding this latest attack. Let's turn now to Nandini Venkata, Tsaishin Global podcast producer and co-producer of this show, and I should add one of the voices we look forward to hearing from every week on the China Stories podcast. Nandini, welcome back and happy May Day to you. Great to see you. Hey, Kaiser. Great to be here. So, Nandini, I understand there have been some big developments in the legal battles of a certain prominent Chinese tech founder. What's going on there? Yeah. So, at the center of this story is Richard Liu. He also goes by the name Liu Changdong. And he's, of course, the founder of the e-commerce giant JD.com. And up until quite recently, he was also the company's CEO So as some of our listeners will know, Richard Liu has been getting a lot of attention because he's been embroiled in this really messy legal battle over in the US where he's been accused of sexual assault. Okay, can you run through the allegations in a little more detail for us? Yeah, sure. So in August 2018, Richard Liu was taken into custody by police in the city of Minneapolis in Minnesota. And this is after a woman called Liu Jingyao accused him of raping her following a dinner. So this allegedly happened while Richard Liu was um, attending an executive degree program at the University of Minnesota at the time, Liu Jingyao was a student at the same school. And um, I think here I should also point out that um, while both of them have quite similar sounding family names, they are not at all related. So one day after his arrest, the e-commerce mogul was actually released uh, without bail. And then he was allowed to return to China And four months after his arrest, prosecutors said that they would not pursue sexual assault charges against him. They made this decision due to insufficient evidence. All right. And Nandini, we should recognize that throughout all of this, Richard Liu has denied any wrongdoing, right? Yeah, that's correct. So he maintains that he is innocent. Um, He says that actually he and Liu Jingyao had consensual sex. And he's also gone on to accuse her of attempting to, quote, extract money from him. So what do we know about the criminal and civil case that has been brought now? Yeah, so the plaintiff, Liu Jingyao, is now seeking more than 50,000 US dollars in damages. Um, That's for medical bills, emotional and psychological trauma, physical injury, 
and loss of earning capacity. And in her civil lawsuit, which was filed in April 2019, she has accused the JD founder of assault, false imprisonment, and sexual assault on the evening of August 30th, 2018. She's also demanded that JD.com be held accountable. Um, That's on the basis that it had vicarious liability for alleged acts of its founder, who was also the CEO at the time. Um, This has, of course, become, therefore, as you can imagine, quite a closely watched lawsuit. All right. So now that we're up to speed with the background, what is the latest in the court battle? So... In the latest twist, um, a court in Minnesota has rejected a request by Richard Leo to prevent details of his personal life from being made public. And all of this is coming as um, they're facing this tight September deadline when a jury trial will take place if Richard Leo and the plaintiff fail to reach an agreement over her personal injury suit. And according to court records earlier this month, Richard Leo's legal team filed a motion with the court uh, to prevent the plaintiff's lawyers from asking certain questions. Um, These were questions regarding his political views, personal finances, and consensual sexual history at a court-ordered deposition in May. And in an accompanying memorandum, Richard Leo had claimed that without an order from the court setting appropriate limits, the plaintiff would then use the deposition to, quote, annoy, embarrass and oppress him by exploring inflammatory topics not related to her claims. However, his lawyers just a few days later asked the court to seal the motion from public view. Um, his lawyers said that revealing it would cause the very harm the motion seeks to prevent by inviting media attention. Um, but actually the judge then went on to reject this motion alongside the request to put limits on the questioning of the JD founder. It seems that the judge ruled that the issues were indeed of public importance. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be curious about what this actually means for JD.com, the company. How has the company sought to deal with this? Yeah, so since all of this has happened, Richard Liu has quietly let go of a number of top positions at multiple JD.com subsidiaries. It was never really said that it was linked to um, these allegations, but the company has just said that um, this is all part of fairly normal management moves. Um, Of course, the latest role change happened earlier this month. That's when Richard Leo stepped down as JD.com CEO. Um, However, he does remain the board's chairman. And in November 2019, he also resigned as a delegate to the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. That's the country's top political advisory body. Again, there was no uh, link made with these allegations. He simply said he made the decision due to personal reasons. Well, thanks for filling us in, Nandini, and good luck to you uh, and all of Beijing. Uh, May you avoid the fate of Shanghai. Thanks, Kaiser. Speak to you soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. 
Special thanks to Lee Sheen of Tyson Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts in the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at SubChina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.